Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and this is the Downtime Podcast, where we're going to be taking you deeper than ever into the gravity-based side of mountain biking. Before we get stuck into this week's episode, I want to say thanks to our supporting partner, and this month that's Kotick. Cy Turner had a dream for a bike that didn't exist, so he made it, and that's basically why Kotick exists. They design their dream bikes and then make them available so that you too can build your dream bike. When Cy moved to the Peak District, his riding changed and so did his dream bike. As a result, the Rocket Max was born, a UK-made, steel-framed enduro chassis that exudes confidence, letting you know that it's got your back. The Rocket Max also fitted my dream, and I've been lucky enough to be riding one since 2020. The steel frame brings a level of compliance that helps the bike breathe with the terrain, meaning it sticks to rough off camber sections like nothing else I've ever ridden. At speed, the long shot geometry comes into its own, bringing a stability that allows you to really go for it. Somehow though, the bike still retains a fun personality that means that you don't have to be going at warp speed to have a good time. To ensure that you're really getting your dream bike, Kotick not only have multiple complete build options, but they'll let you choose any components that you want for your build. Kotick now have a brand new showroom in Chesterfield in the UK, where you can see the bikes and meet the people who design and build them. You can also arrange for a factory collection where one of the team will set up the bike for you and your riding style. Add to that regular owners rides and events and a company ethos that strives to operate in a low impact way when it comes to the environment and gives back a good chunk of their time and profit to the riding community. If all that sounds like your dream, then you can check them out over at kotick.co.uk. We've got a recent podcast episode with Cy2 where you can hear more about Kotick and the Rocket Max. Just head to downtimepodcast.com forward slash Kotick dash Rocket Max. If you're enjoying the podcast, then there's a few things you can do. First and foremost, share the podcast. Maybe that's telling your friends about the show, recommending a specific episode to them that you think they're going to like, or sharing the episodes on your social media. Secondly, if you found value in the podcast, I don't know, maybe you've learned something that's helped you ride in or your fitness. Maybe it's got you stoked to go ride in or to come back from an injury, or maybe it's just something to pass the time when you can't be riding your bike. Then why not do a little something in return by setting up a small regular donation via my Patreon over at patreon.com forward slash downtime podcast. That's Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Massive thank you to everyone who signed up in the last week. That's Gallum Pithera, Ryan Cranfield, Ross Stewart, Jamie Booth, Kevin Neal, Neil Wood, Scott Foy, George Dyson, J.M. Crookshank and Ivan Williams. Also, if you want to represent the podcast, then there's downtime t-shirts, sweatshirts and hoodies available over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. If you want a little more downtime in your life, then you can join my newsletter where I'll provide you with a bit of behind the scenes info on the podcast, interesting bits and pieces from around the mountain bike world, some mini reviews of products that I've been using and like, partner offers and more. You can do that over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash newsletter. Otherwise, don't forget to follow the podcast to make sure you never miss an episode. You can do that by hitting the button in your podcast app now, or there's buttons for all the major platforms over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow. All the links for all of this stuff are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. You can either listen to today's episode here, or if you'd prefer to watch it, you can now do that over on my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash at downtimepodcast. I'll also pop a link to the video in the show notes over on my website, downtimepodcast.com. All right, this week I'm joined by Leo Smith, aka Lando Steezy. I first saw Leo on Instagram a year or so ago and was blown away by his style on the bike. Fast forward to now and he's making waves in the bike industry, especially after signing for Nukeproof and his recent film for Shimano. Leo is providing a role model for many people who up until now didn't see mountain biking as somewhere that they fit in. We chat about the responsibility that comes with that and find out more about Leo and how he got to where he is now. 
hear about where he grew up and how bikes, music and photography came to be so important to him. Leo is part of an exciting group of riders who are bringing new styles, techniques and approaches to everything mountain bike. And I'm super excited to see where it all goes. So without further ado, here's Leo Smith. Leo Smith, a.k.a. Lando Steezy, welcome to the Downtime Podcast, man. How's things with you today? Good, thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, hopefully get an insight of what I've been up to and a bit about myself. Definitely, man. Yeah, it'd be super interesting to find out a bit more about you. Um, before we do that, tell me where Lando Steezy comes from. Oh, the question everyone wants to know. Yeah. Um, pretty, pretty basic, really. Like, the story's not that great. So... <laughs> Before I actually uploaded any riding clips, my job was a photographer and full time. And I think Leo Smith sounded like any white male photographer. So I was like, <laughs> probably do something different. And I don't know, it just popped into my head, just do that. And I think it's such a memorable name that, yeah, just kind of stuck. Definitely, man. That's well, the last person that asked me that was my mum about a week ago. She's like, why actually is it that? I was like, how haven't you asked me this before? But yeah. So Incredible. Yeah, how, long basic, you, how long have you been known as Lando Steezy now then? Um, Say nearly three years. Okay. But my, my Instagram's been that for as long as I can remember, like probably over five years. So. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Give, give us some background then. Where did you grow up? Were you, were you born in Manchester or? No, no, so Macclesfield, born and bred. I've actually moved back to Macclesfield on the end of December. Okay. But I'm still in Manchester just as much. But I moved to Manchester. So I'm 25 now. Moved to Manchester at 20 just to get a bit of different insights live. Um, yeah, learned so much whilst I was there as well. Like, I highly advise anyone coming from a town to move to the city. And you soon come to realise, like, how much life can be different. and so much opportunity in the city um went straight into like a marketing job there and i think from being a photographer marketing was just a hand-in-hand job and yeah did my marketing for like two two years maybe then i just saw that riding was going one way and you know i'm just gonna bite the bullet and quit my job so i quit my job earning next to nothing and (laughs) luckily it's luckily it's worked out now but yeah took a big risk and but I've always still like kept my toe in marketing. It's like I'm still marketing now just for myself. So yeah. Definitely a, a hand in hand role from that to now. But yeah, started in Macclesfield, moved to Manchester and now I'm back to square one. Who knows awesome. how long for, but <laughs> it's all good, man. It's all good. So how do how do bikes fit into your life? Did you start off with BMX? Yeah, so um I think around twelve, thirteen it was BMX just because Skate park's like literally my back window is just next to me now. You can see the skate park from the window. So skate park was just there. And yeah, just it was all my friends knew really. So I was riding every day to the point of skiving school and riding. So I was doing more riding than school. And yeah, just that was it. Then started traveling a bit and meeting so many new people. Like it's, it's weird now seeing that. Kieran Riley's at the point he is because I remember Kieran Riley when he's like eight years old and you know it's dope to see that go that way and a lot of the team GB team like I used to ride with all them so I've always been around high level of riding but uh-huh. then I think around 
So I did my bits from Bob's in the competition. Then round 18, I was just like a bit over it. Like riding wasn't fun anymore. All my friends started working, so no one was riding. Then, yeah, just dropped it. But then I never sold my BMX. My BMX was always there. So it was like I knew if I wanted to, I could just jump back on. Then it kind of went from, so 18 to 20 was just pure photography and learning the music industry and uh-huh. um, all my friends are musicians as well so it's good to have like i was a rider and the photographer whereas they was all the musicians and it's even weird now like 18 um i posted on my story the other day a picture of me and boo in the studio who's a drum and bass artist yeah and so many people replied to it like as if you know boo but then <laughs> i knew boo before boo was boo so it's like seeing now that everyone that I've been with from early has started to like make their own career and sort of getting this famous space it's now like such a big thing when I do post with like my friends who are now musicians and yeah so 18 to 20 was just doing that solid then whilst living in Manchester it was actually like the wheelie kids that made me want to ride again okay is that like the 12 o'clock boys yeah, 12 o'clock Scott cycle. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, seeing them guys, it was like, I didn't want to do wheelies because I still can't wheelie to this day. But <laughs> it was just something about like their riding and culture. I was like, do you know what? I'm just going to go skate park because the indoor park Greystone was like five minutes from where I was living. Then as soon as I got into there, like I saw all my old friends and they're like, where have you been hiding? I was just like, I, I don't know. Then the first day I rid, it was like, nothing had changed it's like i still had all my old tricks i was still riding the same way i was when i was younger so i think that weaned me in then so i still had a bmx at this point but then it was only about a month after that it was like the start of covid yeah so some places were open somewhere and then yeah back to the 12 o'clock boys i was like i'm gonna build a mountain bike that's kind of like theirs but not so the first thing I bought was a dirt jumper. Okay. I always okay. wanted one. I, I wanted a dirt jumper from well young. It was just like stupidly priced. So never did that. Then yeah, built up a Octane one, which pretty solid. I give it the G that for a cheap bike, a cheap frame on chain reaction, it did handle some abuse. So yeah. Then um yeah, straight from there it was into Dirt Factory. Yeah. And that was the indoor place in Manchester, which I'm gutted to see it go. But um, like I speak back and forth with the manager there pretty much every day. So they're working there over time to get that back up and running. And um, yeah, they'll have a new spot soon. So yeah, just riding there and met a ton of people. And it just spiralled from there, really. Just straight out mountain bike. Yeah, that was, that's pretty much the journey of how it started to the start of mountain biking amazing before we get stuck into the mountain bike side of stuff how did how did the music thing become part of life like i'm interested how you found your way into that so um i think from school um like these are my best best friends like and they all wanted to be dj and harry bow is like so he's so when food does his shows in the uk america new zealand Harry Bow will host them. So, who will DJ? Harry Bow will MC. And yeah, he's like my best, best friend. So, it was just 
he's taking me place to place. And whilst he's taking me place to place, I'm networking. So yeah. while he's on yeah. stage, I'll be backstage, like, networking with industry people. And, yeah, it just kind of worked like that. Then before you know it, same with riding. Once you meet one person, you've met 10 people. So it was, like, just went from spot to spot. And, yeah, just traveling around and meeting new people and shooting some amazing gigs, meeting some famous people. Like, it's just crazy that I've had that part of my life. And it'd be quite easy for me to to go straight back into it as well. But I just think the way that I'm riding at the minute, I need to make sure that I'm staying focused on one thing. But I still always have my camera with me. And no matter where I am, there'll always be a camera in my bag, whether I pull it out that day or not. Don't really bother me anymore, but there's always a camera on me. So. Amazing. So was photography like a hobby that got a bit out of control or did you actually go study it? Um, so I'm actually still in my final year of uni now, but I only go one day a week. Uh-huh. So it gives me plenty of time to ride. And um, yeah, so it was a hobby, but I like when I speak to other photographers, I started getting paid from photography way quicker than what like any photographer did. And I think that's just because I was in the space right space right time meeting the right people and yeah so it just became a job quite instantly and yeah it i loved it because and i still love it now because like i said in the shimano edit when anytime you pick up a camera you make the rules like you make your choice of what you're going to shoot and that was the aspect that just gripped me straight away very nice i think with my mum my mum loves painting and she's like a wicked artist so I think having that creative side ingrained in me was like, yeah, it's, it was always going to happen, me doing something creative and not doing the nine-to-five route. Good stuff, man. So, yeah, so mountain biking started to, like, feature in your life. Was your riding, yeah. like, prior to mountain biking kind of street, park, like, focused? more like more? Yeah, yeah. So I've never, never, like, stuck myself into one thing. I, like, Day by day, I'd always ride different things. But when I was made like deep into BMX and I had a few sponsors behind me, um, everyone around me rode street, but I rode park. So it's like I'm always going to have to be influenced because wherever they go, I go. So I've always had like a heavy street influence. And Kevin Peraz has always been my favorite rider. And seeing that he can ride anything and everything is always like massive influence from him to pretty much do my own thing. And, Nigel Sylvester as well, like seeing what he's doing now with riding and like fashion, etc. Like that was just a massive inspiration to go down that route of don't just put all your eggs in one basket and broaden yourself to ride everything. Yeah. So was it natural then that when you moved to a mountain bike, it was the sort of street park kind of side yeah, of riding so, that you got into first? Yeah, because Manchester. Um, so we only had dirt factory close, but then Farmer John's wasn't far away. So it was like in between them two, why not just ride street? Because Manchester's wicked for street as well. So there's always all a bit of that, really. Then even the outdoor parks in Manchester, they're, they're very like street orientated, as well as um, I grew up obviously in Macclesfield, which Macclesfield's right in the middle of Stoke and Manchester. So I always had the opportunity to go to Stoke to ride street because their street plaza there is absolutely insane. It's like one of the biggest ones in Europe as well, and it's always empty. Like There's hardly any people ever there, which baffles me, but always had the opportunity to ride either street or park. 
Yeah. Amazing. So how has it been then like adapting like that style of riding and that, that approach into like the woods basically, cause you're, you're getting out yeah, much yeah. more now into like the more, I guess, traditional, like earlier phase of mountain biking when it was just about playing on bikes in the woods. Yeah. So being from Macclesfield, I've got Mac Forest. Josh Bryson, he's a local lad, and he's most known for riding Mac Forest. Same with Sam Dale. He only lives like five minutes from me as well. So seeing them boys, I've always knew that Mac Forest is on my doorstep. And um, yeah, Berg Tech is also in the same town as me, their HQ. And just being keep, like, I've always kept up to date with them guys. And knowing that that's on my doorstep, it was like, I've got to make it kind of hand in hand. And yeah, adapting onto the mountain bike was really hard at the start. And I could never get used to the suspension set up. <laughs> it really like baffled me. And anytime anyone would ride my bike, they're like, why is it so stiff? But to me, that's just how it should have felt. But now it's like I've softened it up and kind of learned that. But I think that learning curve of changing my body position, that was so hard to get used to. But I still think sometimes now I'm still like trying to get used to some steep tech stuff, but I like that learning aspect. And yeah, I think the biggest learning curve from it all was just getting that body position right and riding in a way that's like not like on the dirt jumper. But yeah, it's it's massive learning curve and still going now. But the transition was awesome because I've always loved outdoors and the fact that now that I can be outdoors anywhere I want it's just amazing yeah it's been cool to watch i think you said in the shimano edit that came out recently you you told a bike shop mechanic you were going to be the biggest fat black athlete on a mountain bike yeah, yeah, and you weren't funny. stopping until it's done yeah it's funny because he always comes back to me as that and it's it's so mad because when we when i said that to him i think we'd only just met for like we'd only been mates for a month but that must have been like two years ago now and he's still my best mate and like not even my mechanic anymore i'll just go see him and yeah we always just chop it up and have a good laugh and i think if anyone keeps me most grounded it's either him or his boss like any issues i have i'll always go speak to them and they'll help me out massively so even though he's like one of my even though he's my mechanic he is like a crutch for me to lean on just kind of let some steam off with so awesome to have them people around you yeah where where does that strength of motivation come from then what made you go right this is what i want to go out and achieve uh just basically like where i grew up so council estate boy um also seeing his drugs violence and rock and roll really like my town is pretty it's so easy to get sucked into that lifestyle and seeing a lot of my friends from school who obviously are no longer my friends now like they obviously went down the wrong route and yeah just seeing that I never wanted to be around that and I think that move to Manchester was like a real eye-opener of I'm only 25 minutes away but I'm so far away from that lifestyle I don't need to get into that lifestyle I don't need to be around that and even when I move back now it's like no one ever changed from five years ago so I'm like I'm so happy I did move and I think that just fueled the fire of, you know, I can just kind of make my own rules and go with it that way. And the motivation side definitely just comes from seeing people go down the wrong path and knowing that I'm only one left turn of going down that same path. Like, it'd be so easy for me to get sucked into that. And 
yeah, I just don't want that for my life, really. Fair play, man. And you're only a couple of years into this, like, mission that you've set yourself up on, like, and you've yeah. come a long way already. How, how have you approached it? Like, tell us a little bit about that last couple of years and how everything, you've... Everything was so new. Um, so, yeah, back to Dirt Factory, um, I met Tom, who's Marin's sales rep, and... I think we just hit it off straight away, like Rick got on really well and he's done a hell of a lot for me. Even aside from him working for Marin, I think not to slate Marin, Tom did probably more for me than what the brand did. Uh -huh. Like in terms of if I needed to get places, he'd come to my house, pick me up and do that. Then I think Tom just got the deal over the edge and just got me in with them guys. And yeah, just riding for Marin was like big eye opener, but then I always felt like something was missing. And um, then, yeah, it was like, I don't know, it was like the sponsor, but it wasn't like really in depth. The connection that we had wasn't like great, but I do appreciate everything they did for me. And um, it got me into a space where it was like, I can start to meet people and work my own way out. But then I think the biggest hit was when just randomly out of the blue, Schwalbe hit me up for, that was my first paid contract as well. So it was nice. like, they just hit me up out of the blue and was like, do you want to ride for us? I was like, yeah, let's do it. And I think that's really when the ball started rolling because the connection I had with the guys in Germany was like, they always wanted to know what I was doing, always well tapped in. And you just get a feeling for it when you're in this industry. It's like, you know what's a good relationship and you know what's kind of just put on the back burner. Then from there, um, I met the who did I meet from Birdtech? I met one of the guys from Birdtech anyway. Then at this point, I didn't know that they was Macclesfield based, so it was like I didn't know they was local. But then the first time I met them, I just went to the HQ and they just showed me around, and it was literally like friends that I've been friends with for like ten years. It just clicked straight away, and that was like a massive eye opener because Dan, who's the head head boy at um, he knows everyone. Yeah. So I think he just pushed me into a space and gave me the advice that I needed to kind of just go full at it. And any idea that I had, you know, I'd always be like, is this a good idea? And the photographer at Bertech as well, Dave, um, he, it's so wicked how he has such a big knowledge of the industry, but also he does all the photography that you see on their page. And, just going in and chopping it up with him really and just getting his insight and always funding off him to get like my own mindset of what I need to do. That was like another massive push. Then it just went rolling from there. And um, yeah, I got a really funny story to be fair about the Shimano Antel video. Um, I actually ignored their email for like three months because <laughs> I didn't know who they were. <laughs> Then my videographer, Noah, who I work with all the time, um, I was like, mate, who the hell are Ansel? And he's like, you can't be for real. I was like, I don't know. I came from BMX. Like, I don't know who these guys are. Then Noah's like, you need to re reply to that email right now. And at this point, I didn't know Shimano that the video was for as well. So it was like, they've just come to me with, like, this is what we want to do. Um, this is how we want it to look. Then straight away, just got into a meeting with them. And he was like, yeah, it's a Shimano video. We want to put this budget towards it. And 
make it work. And the way them them guys worked was just so professional. It was like something I've never seen before. And to the point of every shot you saw in that video, it took like 30 minutes to film each shot. Even yeah. if it was like even if it was like a two second clip, they'd really like structure it and they wanted everything to just look immaculate, which it did come out that way. So yeah. I'm happy for it. And learning how them guys work is mad. To the point now, like they said, I can go out to Canada and ride with them anytime and have that friendship. But yeah, I just find it so funny how I went so long with like ah, <laughs> oh, not really not really feeling this. I, I don't know who these people are. I don't know if it's real. Because at that point, like, I didn't have a following. I didn't have nothing. And I was like, more to the point, how did they know who I was? How did they know about my whole life? So, yeah, they, they like, they came to me with basically my whole life story without even meeting me. I was like, how do these guys know everything? Like, is this actually on? But, yeah, got it over the board. And that video was filmed, um, when was it? April last year. Okay. So we we had on to it for a while because they were still releasing stuff that they filmed in COVID. So they had like a backlog and that's why it came out so much later. But that was a surreal moment, even to the point of when they came over to Manchester. Um, they said to me straight away, like, we're going to be here for four days. Let us learn the culture. And um, yeah, took them out to everywhere. All the best spots in Manchester. And, yeah, you could tell as well, like, them coming over from Swamish, they really nailed, like, what it's like to live in Northern England. And the point, like, when they came over as well, they stayed one road away from where my, my apartment was just so they could really feel out, like, that area and and be around it. So That's amazing. Wicked. Everything to do with working with them was just, like, solid and... Yeah, made some good friends for life throughout the process. That sounds awesome. Did you dislocate your knee at the start of that shoot? Yeah, on the second day. Oh, man. And it's funny, there's there's a clip outside the footy ground where this is the most baffling thing. All I did was a 180 as well. And it was like the snap out on cabin out. Then I turned around to them. I was like, my knees just came on. They're like, no, it's not. I was like, honest to God, my knees coming out. Then Will, the photographer, was like, do this, do this, do this, and you'll be fine. So we just, like, knocked it back in, and, like, I was fine. Later that night, I couldn't walk, but then we was like, that's why there's not many clips on the dirt jumper in it, which I didn't mind, because I didn't actually want the video to be, like, an edit. I didn't want it to be banger after banger. I just wanted it to be quite sore. So everything you saw on the trail bike was all was a dislocating me that had just been put back in the day before oh man <laughs> that is not that is not a good way to start a shoot like that huh? yeah well they came so far to film so i was like i can't send you home empty-handed and yeah it's like at the start of the video as well when I'm, i shoot the picture no that's why i literally can't walk because that was the last thing we filmed and i literally was like done but yeah couldn't send a home empty-handed so we we had to get it done good effort man and i guess that video like has really pushed you forward like onto the world stage of mountain biking like pink bike home yeah, page, like, all of that what what's the response been like uh the first day was like i had to turn my phone off because <laughs> i'm one of them like i i can do with comments but then i just don't think one human should take in that much emotion in a day so it was like 
I'm taking in a lot here. Um, let me just have a day off. And I like to reply to everyone I can. And even in my inbox now, there's only like a small selection of people that I've not replied to. So I'll always like say thanks. And, you know, if if a kid's asking a question, I'll always give them the reply. And um, yeah, the, the response is just mental. And um, But the whole time, Anfield kept saying to me, like, you do know, like, this is, this is going to be the one. This is going to really change. And I think they prepared me mentally for it. So it, that was, like, a big boost of, you know, like, they've got my back. Like, this is going to happen, whether you like it or not. Kind of thing. And, yeah, seeing that pink bike main page, because even from BMX, everyone knows what pink bike is. Like, pink bike was a massive forum back then. so. Having the main page was just like, oh, this is a bit crazy. And sick picture as well. Will Brignall's my favourite photographer in the biking industry. And having the opportunity to work with him. And I've actually just spoke to him this morning as well, planning another shoot. So it's just awesome having Will around as well. Like he's only in Liverpool. And honestly, his work is like, just, I, in my personal opinion, I don't think there's anyone better in the UK than than Will with his camera and seeing what he's done for Newt Proof, Rocky Mountain, EWS is like, it's just so different. It's such a different style of what we're used to seeing. And I think because Will's still quite young, he has such a modern look on on what he wants his photography to look like. So yeah, working with him was just awesome. And seeing that even in the article, like me and Will's on FaceTime, as if they just used every picture. Like <laughs> we thought they was just going to use five pictures, but they actually took in about twenty. And it was like we just couldn't believe like the the marketing that went into the video and just everything around it was just so professionally set up. And I think they really they really nailed with rolling it out. And I remember I only got told the night before that it's out at eight a.m., <laughs> which was like super short. So I'm sat there thinking it like. They've not even sent me a trailer. <laughs> I was like, I've not even got a trailer yet. Like, what am I gonna do? And yeah, luckily, like when it got posted, they tagged me in. So now they've got the new collaborator thing on Instagram. So I was like, oh, that helps massively. Then it's just like, yeah, it's it's out. But I think everyone realised now this is why the new proof announcement was held off for so long. Yeah. So even though. Um, the guys at Newproof was fine with it, and I, I do actually still have one more video filmed on the Marin, but it ends it ends basically on the Newproof, so it's like a journey of basically what I've seen in the industry so far. So it's not going to be like a crossover sponsorship; it's just going to be a big journey of basically where it started. It's targeting diversity, so it's like um, features a lot of different riders from around the UK and. Yes, just one big long journey. So that's going to come out some point in this year. Just waiting for Adidas's schedule on when they're going to release it. Awesome. Look forward to seeing that. How did the new proof hookup come out then? So this is the wildest story, <laughs> and I can't even believe it's real. So I'll give you some perspective on the day of making the connection. This day, I cut. I give Ratboy a mullet. I give Dave a mullet. <laughs> Threw my tattoos on Dave's face, partied with Danny McGaskill, <laughs> and went out with Dunk Shaw. 
So that was like the start of my day. Standard. So you already know what happened. The beers were going. And John Moss, um, John Moss is like really good friends with the guys at New Cruise, um, a lad from Newcastle. And I just got on with him really well. And he was just talking. He's like, listen, mate, he's like, you need to be on New Cruise. I was like, mate, that's never going to happen. And we were just pissed. Like, we were drinking. Sorry for my language. But yeah, we were just drinking all day. And He's like, you need to do it. And so that was at Melvin's Classic. So that must have been in August, I think. Yeah. And I was like, he really got into my head that day, but I was like, it's never going to happen. Like, that can't happen. It's, it's like, it won't work. So I put it off. I didn't even entertain the thought until December, where I was like, Marin offered me another year, but they didn't offer me anything different of what I was already on. But earlier in the year, they said, we can change this in your contract, we can do that. And no matter what idea I had, it wasn't, it was never going to be a Matt Jones idea. It was never going to be a Martha Gill idea. So it was just like, well, Nuke Crew's in every magazine at the minute. Nuke Crew was like, they're massive into like, filming and that you can just tell a new group everything just looked right and everything looked so strategic so i was like i think it was december the first so for those listening that don't know how riding works it's like usually you get you get your negotiations around november and you kind of get your answer back just before december like end of the month so it's like i'd missed that window but at the same time i was like i've just got to do it like I, I did have two other brands on board that was keen to take me on, but I just could never see myself fitting in their rap, their style of like how they push their stuff up. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, I've just got to do it. Then I followed Rob, who's the team manager at Nukeproof, and he runs a hell of a lot of stuff at Nukeproof besides team manager. Um, and he was already following me. So I was like, ah, oh, this is, a push of like <laughs> yeah I was like this is a boost of confidence and I just messaged him like really nice email like look like huge fan of Luke Creed and I think with the release of the Dirt Jumper um, and like the gig has always been my favourite bike so I was like I think that I could really you know push my career as well as show Luke Creed in a new way that I don't really think Luke Creed has been shown before and straight away, he was like, yeah. Like, he was just on board. And what I was saying I want to do this year, he was, like, super supportive. And the fact that he's the only person in mountain biking that I've met that loves football as much as myself. <laughs> so we just, we had such, like, a mutual conversation. And it, it started off in mountain bike, and then it went to football. And it's like, I spoke to Rob now more times than I spoke to, like, most of my other partners. And it's like, yeah, this is just a friendship that's going to progress on to, like, a riding relationship. And, yeah, now, like, even though he's a team manager of the, the company I ride for, like, I see him as a really strong friend as well. So it just fit, like, so perfect. And, yeah, so I've actually been riding that dirt jumper since December. And it's been so hard to stay out of, like, the public eye, so... Whilst all the kids were in school, I was out riding and took a trip to Barcelona, which we filmed 
we did film an edit out there, but then as it got closer to the nuke proof announcement, um, I think three days before I was just sat with Nero, I was like, we've got everything, but it's messy. Okay. I was like, if I push this out as an announcement, I feel like it's going to be the same as everyone else's riding video. Then luckily, out of nowhere, that night it snowed. And it was like, me and Noah just had this light bulb moment. It's like, we've got to film it in the snow, aren't we? It's like, <laughs> we just got to do it. So I think I think that took half an hour to film that video. And he had it edited, finished. Noah made the music in it as well. So it's like where the heavy uh, drums come in as well. Noah sound designed all that, made all the music himself. So it was like a super creative video. Even outside of the riding, it was like, He's really put his time into the edit and, yeah, mastered that. That was all done and dusted in a day. So he's like, that's the announcement that we need and that, that'll be the way to kick it off. But then we're just sat now on so many clips from, like, Barcelona. It's like, I don't know what to do with him. But, yeah, that, it's just crazy, like, how how life can change like that. And the past four months have been meant. Like, I've noticed such a big difference. And... I've not even said this online yet, but I've lost so much weight. Like, and this is because actually I can speak on it because this will be out after I've announced it. So I signed with Camelback um, for this year, and obviously if they're sending me like huge water bottles and stuff, I'm gonna drink water. So that I think that's been like in the weight loss that I'm in now. Like, I think that's been the biggest thing that's just like. Yeah, just nailing water all day, all night. And <laughs> yeah. So that was that was like a wicked sponsorship as well. So. That's cool, man. What so what's the general reception been like from the mountain bike world? And you've obviously got some good mates there in Macclesfield with like the Berg Tech crew, Bryson, fifty to one, all that like I've seen you've been riding with Cade Edwards and stuff, but yeah. how do you feel like you've been welcomed? Yeah, hundred percent. Like even from the start, definitely. Um yeah, it's been wicked. And I think the best thing, that the best choice that I made two years ago was to go hard rock. And I think that's where I met so many people. Like so many riders, I didn't even know they knew who I, they knew who I was, but then I've been like following them. Like Ben Deacon, when I first met him, it was like, it just felt like we no need to afraid. It's like, we got on so well. And he was like really supportive, give me some really good advice as well. And Every time I see Ben now, we'll always just have a little chat and just like, yeah, it's, it's meant having people like that that can really give you a push. And yeah, Hard Rock was probably the biggest thing. So that I'm always, I, rock it, I reckon I'll always be going back to Hard Rock just because, you know, it's like a sentimental value thing now. Then after that, I went to the Melvin Classics and that was the same again. It was like really, really good event. And, just meeting riders there and really getting along with them. And, you know, I think UK has such a good, like, riding scene. And there's so many different riders, like Donny Soldier, the stuff that he's doing is just wild on a mountain bike. And, like, he's a good friend. Like, And, um, yeah, just, just having friends like that can really inspire you and just go out and ride with them and, you know, get some get some insight of what they do as well like that has been such a huge push and it's just showing me that you know there is a place for me in the industry whether um i go down the route of 
the traditional mountain bike, which I won't be doing. But then, you know, I, ha- I have the opportunity now where I can do pretty much anything. And just as long as I'm making good content, because that's like my main thing. I'm really picky with what I film, really picky with what I push out. So as long as I keep making good content, it's it's always going to keep the ball rolling. Yeah. Do you think that your like creative side helps when it comes to your riding? Or yeah, like, we, does it slow things down to some extent? Because you're like, nah. Yeah, without the creative side, I don't think I'd be able to do anything. Like, um, and just having Noah on hand, for, you know, like Noah, outside of filming, riding, he's also films like the music side of things. So he does like music videos, uh, tours, and all that stuff. So me and him pretty much have the same mindset because we came from the same thing and. He also rides as well, so he knows how a riding video should look. So just yeah, just having him on hand, like we, I'm always going to have like that strong, creative mindset to to just push out content. Yeah, it must be fun because you're getting to work with other creative people. I'm guessing like most riders don't have a background in like photography or video creation or music or anything like that. So to be able to bring that and work with yeah. the whole creative team on a project must be pretty cool. Yeah, that's that's been the best thing because um you do you do notice some awesome riders, no names being pushed out, but some riders have every trick in the bag, but they can't produce a good video or they can't produce good content. And I think that's why they stay with a small following and a, a small fan base, even though they can do everything at crankworks level. And I think if they just spend time to try and figure out how they could do stuff in a different way they go so much further and i think the way the world's going now even with brands i think brands want someone who can push into them spaces and you know like kids now are so creative like i think we meet more creative people now than we have before so i think the younger generation want to go down that route rather than you know having to do a job and if they see a creative rider that's pushing out some wicked content that's just gonna be light bulb moments for them definitely yeah i think the tools for being creative are more accessible now like when i was a kid like you couldn't no one could afford a video camera now everyone's got one on their phone like you can edit video music all sorts on most computers like it comes with software for it so i think that's helping drive like more creativity maybe in like the younger generation yeah 100 percent understand like even now um them teaching it more in schools and showing that you know there's so many jobs in the creative industry now it's like manchester is just a city for marketing anyone you speak to there they'll just yeah i work in marketing what kind of marketing <laughs> they know just just marketing that's like literally anyone you speak to in manchester that is what they do so that Crazy. just goes hand in hand with a creative job really yeah you're you're a bigger guy than the average mountain biker i think that's fair to say you've been totally upfront yeah. about that have you found that impacts how people react to you when you like where you, when you turn up at a rider spot yeah, maybe? anyway it's so funny when i was in barcelona like anywhere i go the first 10 minutes as anyone does a lot feel out skate park then i think all the locals were sat on this bench at the side and i was just filming with my best mate rick we set up the drone and like, 
Jesus God. And I just started throwing down like flares, big massive fireworks over that. And they're all just sat there like, what the hell is going on? And when we when me and Rick have left, Rick's turned around to he's like, Yeah, you saw that, didn't you? I was like, obviously I did. I felt it. I didn't see it. <laughs> like Yeah, that's so weird. Rick's just texting ours I said it made. Yeah, that's very weird. Definitely felt it in Barcelona as well as like when when I read the Dirt Factory as well before I started making friends there definitely felt it but then I think coaching had such a huge help because as soon as I got deep into coaching a lot of the ra- uh, larger riders would rather come to me because you know I can give them advice on what they can ride and what they should be riding and how they should have their bikes set up so I think it's a gift and a curse but I've never let things get to me so it's like it's not bothered me. I just, I just find it super funny. Like, and I think if I can do it, then there's no reason why other people do it. And shout out um, a last called Kat, Kat Donahue. I met her through coaching, but she's like such a good friend now. And seeing when she first started to where she is now, it's like, it's day and night. Like her riding's come on so well. And, just seeing that from my perspective, seeing a larger rider push to the limits, like, is so good. And there's so many other riders out there as well. Like, I think his name's Normal Mountain Biker on, on Instagram. Like, he's a large dude, rides for Specialized, and he's not the wildest of rider, but his content that he pushes out is so positive, and you can tell that with that content, it goes a long way. So, yeah, I think having people like myself in in the riding industry now it's just a massive influence for other larger riders to really get out and and ride and it's pretty much every day pretty much every day from all around the world i'll get a message of someone and i'll always hit them up back and just like yeah keep going for it and just enjoy yourself while you're doing it that's cool i was going to ask if being a coach it doesn't fit the like the regular mold of what a mountain biker looks like whether you feel that's brought people to coaching that otherwise might not yeah so um not only i coach myself i do it for the bike shop as well and there have been some clients where you, you turn up and they're looking like who's this guy then i'll just like ride and they're like oh right i get it now but it's it's like when i don't know why but always when i coach for dirt factory it's always like really wealthy clients and like their mindset works a little bit different to your average girl so I think they they definitely have like a perception as soon as they turn up of what they want. And yeah. But either way, they still get through the coaching session and everyone's been a success so far. So, nice. What drove but, you to coach him? Uh all my friends forced me into it. <laughs> I definitely, definitely got forced into it. Like um my friend Morgan, he doesn't he doesn't really ride anymore because works took over his life, but um Every time I'd ride with him, like I'd always be feeding him information and do this, do that, and you'll get there. And seeing that work, um, back to the mechanic at the bike shop as well, he's just been like, mate, you just need to start coaching. Like, I was like, I don't really want to, though. It's a, bit, it's a bit like different. But then I did a couple of sessions for the bike shop. Then it was, all like, oh, right, I'm, I'm hooked into it now. And, it's so rewarding. Like I coach at Greystone Skate Park every Tuesday and Friday as well, and coaching kids on Tuesdays I do like young kids, and that's so rewarding. 
like taught someone how to backflip last night, which was like mega and just teaching them tricks. It's like seeing someone so young do such amazing things is mental. But yeah, the reward that I get for it when I get the train back home is like that was definitely worth it. It's all worth it. Yeah, you've uh, described yourself as helper of the people. Is that I guess coaching is part of that, right? Yeah, as well as like probably shouldn't say this if any sponsors are watching, but um I most of my old parts I'll always give to someone that I've seen doing something sick. So like my old Marin, um have you come across Nasha from Scotland? Um yeah. wicked rider. Wicked Rider does amazing stuff for like his community. And when I went up to Scotland, it was like it's like being with my younger self or like my little brother. And I even said to him, I was like, mate, you remind me so much of myself from when I was younger. I think he's only like 16, but then when it came to selling my bikes, I, I sold him the Marin for such a cheap price. I look back at it and I like, why did I do that? But yeah, see seeing what he's doing on that bike is is wicked. And I always just like to help people out where I can. As well as, like, in terms of the amount of shoes we get sent for Adidas, it's like a man can only wear one pair of shoes. So <laughs> once, once like, I'm through with him, like, I'll always help out a friend who's, like, maybe can't afford to buy at retail. So I'll always just help out people around me. And, you know, if I can ride at my level, then I might as well share what I'm enjoying with, with my friends and people around me and yeah. keep them riding. Yeah, I think in the long run, brands probably want someone to do that and like help out people around it because it, in the long run, it will just make them go back to buying from the brand. So it, it probably works out. Definitely. And you're in this position now where you have influence and that's only going to grow from here pretty massively would be my guess. Like how do you, I mean, that's a responsibility as well to some extent, I suppose. Yeah, so yeah like, for sure. How do you look at it? How do you deal with it? Well, how I describe to my friends is like my day to days never changed because even when I was in the photography industry, like I never worked a nine to five. So it was like I kind of had so much freedom to do what I want and seeing how my life's changed, yeah, massively, like professional mountain biking now. But when I actually narrow it down, my day to day is still the same. So my influence is always going to be the same as what it always has been. And if someone draws influence from that attitude, then I'm all for it. And I think, you know, if I can do it, anyone can do it. And the background that I come from, uh, not a lot of people make it even off the estate. So having the opportunity now to travel the world, it's like, yeah, if I can do it, anyone can do it. Uh, I said that, but I just remembered my friend just became a professional boxer. He lives up the road from me, so it's wicked. And uh, she actually won second in uh, the Olympics. No way. Yeah. Incredible. Wicked having like, someone off my estate that's also doing pretty big things. Yeah, that's incredible to see. So how how do you think like mountain biking's doing from a diversity perspective? Because it's traditionally been middle class, white male, and that is yeah. it feels like that's starting to change, but it feels like we've got a long way to go. Yeah, so I think because I started the project with Adidas uh two years ago. We've really stretched it out because I think if we put it out last year, it would have been rough and I would have missed so many things that I've learned this year and towards the end of last year. But overall, I don't think much is changing. I think 
when I started the project, I made sure that I didn't want to cross over to what the diversity situation is in America because I don't know America. Um, I've only met Elliot Jackson once and wicked guy, but you can tell with his message, it's very American. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really cross over to the UK. So I feel like the UK does need to, in terms of the mountain bike industry, the UK definitely has a massive um, push. And they can't just use me as an example because I'm only one name. So I'm one name against thousands. And it's like, you can't use that as as a kind of example. But I think with, there's many riders that will, will come up and flourish but i don't think anyone will get to the level where i'm at now and i'm only just starting my career so if i think from my perspective they might not be able to get to this level then how's someone going to push for you to get further and i think that's like my biggest fear in the, the diversity situation at the moment but then like going back to nasher i think if he keeps riding the way that he is there's no way how he can't and you can tell through his content, it's like, it's so warming to watch his content. Like, he does a little, there's like somewhat of a skit at the start, and it's like, and he's he's from Zimbabwe as well, so Zimbabwe, Zimbabwean, Scottish, you can tell watching his content, like, both his heritage is shine through so bright, and it's like, if someone like that is influencing people in Scotland, um, it's only going to work for him. Like, there's no way it can't work for him. What would it take so, yeah. then to like improve the situation and to give more opportunity for some of these riders to make it to like your level and beyond? What do you think needs to change? Yeah, I just, I just think having um, a good structure of every every mountain bike, every professional mountain bike you speak to, they've always had a plan, and they need to kind of figure out their plan and stick to it. So. Everyone has a plan, stick to that, keep the ball rolling with it, and you, you're going to get to where you're going. And I think it's going to have to come within the community to do something, but then I think brands have such a... I don't know how to say it's like... Brands have a criteria of what they want before they even want it. Mm-hmm. And I think if you look at a lot of the UK riders especially enduro riders um it takes such a massive thing to be different than the next enduro rider so it's like if someone was to just go down the enduro route from a black or asian community they're gonna have to work three times as hard as a white male and that's my perspective on it and i think unless they're going to be winning enduro races they're just going to get left in the past kind of thing Uh Yeah, it's going to be such a big struggle if someone was to go down that route. But whereas free ride is arguably harder in some areas, but then again, it's not as hard as a race. So I think if they're going to go down a free ride route, they're going to have to be, again, three times better than the next person. So it's it's always going to lead back to that. you got to basically outshine like your average what we know as a rider yeah. and what we see in magazines all the time so unless they're working at that rate i just i just don't think it, it's feasible seems kind of crazy though because eh? like we're in this world where there's so much mountain bike content it's really hard for brands to like stand out and actually get people to tune in so actually showing yeah. someone 
different, like doing something fresh and unique and different, you'd have thought that would be attractive to brands. Yeah, you'd have thought, thought it'd be. been you'd have thought it'd been that had been so easy for them to do. But yeah, we've we've still not seen it yet. And I think it's gonna take some years. But then in the mountain bike industry at the minute there's so many changes and how often is it where you see a new group of riders come through it's like every three to five years we'll see a change like not to sleep these guys but um sam reynolds matt jones uh brendan fairclough like they're riding at the minute i feel really horrible saying it but i just don't think that's targeting a younger generation Uh like that's that middle-aged men content and middle-aged men riding all of them rip all of them are absolutely awesome riders but i just think for the next generation coming through are these people going to be who they're looking at and yeah i think that's like going to be the divide i think you know there's, there's so many riders from the uk as well what you can look towards for inspiration so it's tough it is tough and i get from a brand's perspective you know they've got a narrow down what's going to bring them in revenue and where their budget goes but i just think yeah it's time for a big change and yeah we need that them riders that come in every three to five years we need them in like thick and fast yeah so who should we be looking at then who stands out to you You've mentioned is it nashi nasha nasha makusha um i'd say in a few years definitely someone to look out for uh-huh. now he's just finding his feet um Obviously, Alex Thor is doing crazy things, you know, riding for Forbidden, and his riding is just insane. And he's a young lad as well, so he's definitely someone who's coming through the ranks at the moment, but I feel like has potential to be, be massive. And there's so many names that I can think of, but I can't just narrow it down. Um, the, did you see the 50 to 1 Youngins video? I haven't seen it yet. No, is that worth a watch? So that, that, yeah, definitely. That came out um, a few weeks ago. And these are lads from same same little town where Rat Boy's from. Um, a little lad called Luke Clayton. I think he's just turned 14. And my theory with him is that because he doesn't look 14, he's not getting the 14-year-old treatment. That, um, you have Finn Davis, who he's a common cell rider from down south. Uh-huh. Awesome rider, deserves to be professional, obviously. But I think because he looks 14, he's definitely like got the edge on what Luke doesn't. And I think because Luke looks about 16, 17, it's definitely taken his career like a bit of a different way. Yeah. But it's sick to see the 50 to 1 boys have sorted him out and, and got him rolling in that aspect. But I think he, his name is going to be one to watch for when he's 17, 18. Like some of the stuff that he's riding at the minute as well is like I couldn't even dream of doing. Amazing, I'll check it out for sure. So, so what's your plan then, man? Where do we go from here? It feels like you're just at the start of something huge. Yeah. So next thing that I'm going to be working on, filming wise, is going to work on something with Schwalbe and kind of just do something for all their tires. And just my idea behind it is like. Why does a mountain bike tire need to be a mountain bike tire? So we want to take it into the streets and see see how much we can push the paces with it. And yeah, just a couple more cool ideas, and hopefully um, 
get some more stuff done with Nuke Proof. Uh, I can't say anything, but there's some really sick riders about to come on board that you'd never even think would ride for Nuke Proof. Okay. But, yeah, so definitely I want to get some videos done with them. Um, yeah, just, just create content really. And I'll definitely probably be at the Malvern Classic this year. So anyone listening, come down and party and have a laugh with some riders. Yeah, Hard Rock as well. I'll be there. Don't know if I'm racing in Joro, but I'll definitely be there because it's a wicked event. And yeah, just just a few bits and bobs like that. And yeah, more coaching, more riding, more filming. Nice. That's, that's nice. kind of the uh, goal. Is is something like Crankworks on your radar? Will we ever see you there? Like, nah, never. <laughs> um, probably see me there cheering on cheering on my friends. Like, I've got a really good relationship with Thomas Lloyd and. You know, we met last year and he feels like a brother to me. Like, I love him and I'd love to go out and support him and, and watch him and Cage Shred. And yeah, a couple of Crankworks riders I get on, get along with really well and it's hard to see that they support me in that way. Like Nikolai Rogatkin showing love from mad early stage from when I was riding. So I'd love to go out and watch it, but in terms of riding, it, it's, it's just not for me. And, um, yeah. Another rider that I forgot to mention before was Jake Atkinson. Just came back to me then. Jake who, sorry? Jake Atkinson. Okay. Um, I think he's only 20, but best float style rider in the UK. Um, but he's not getting that, like, that push that he needs. Okay. And I think he's from the Lake District as well, so it's crazy how he's got to that level of riding because he didn't even have a riding spot within two hours from him. So anytime he rides, he's got a drive two hours insane but that just shows where his drive comes from and why he is just yeah riding the way that he is i'll try and dig up yeah, some uh instagram uh handles and stick them in the show notes so people can check yeah. out some of these riders that'd be good to do well we're getting close to the end of our time and we should wrap up with our final four questions the first yeah. of those is if our listeners had 150 pounds to spend to improve their performance on a bike or to have more fun on a bike what should they go spend it on Something came to mind instantly, but then I'm thinking something that I'm really like into. So the first thing that came to mind was a dropper post. Okay. Because you always need a dropper post. 100%. On my gravel bike, I've not got one at the minute, and I'm I'm dying to put a dropper <laughs> post on it. Um, and Berg Tech pedals. Like, honest to God, if any, if I had to advise like one product for anyone it'd be a set of the metal bird set pedals because yeah. you, you ain't falling out of them. You might as well be clipped in. <laughs> All right. Good stuff. Second one. If you could wind back the clock and sit down with yourself age 50, age 16, what advice would you give him? Um, it's so weird because when I was 16, I was in the mindset now where I knew that I just wanted more to life. So I'd just say, keep doing what you're doing and you know you're going to see people doing bad things in the future and life's going to change as an adult but just stay on the right path and you'll get there nice good advice i like it all right third one if you could have a coaching session from anyone who would it be and what would you want to learn from them uh max fredrickson okay um i don't know why max fredrickson i just think everything that he does on a bike is so slick and neat and 
how often I see him fall is near never. So I don't know what trick I'd want to learn from him, but I definitely need to see him ride in person because I need to think, like, is everything first time? Because it definitely looks way too clean to be true. Is there that is crazy. Is there a trick you'd really like to have in your bag? Nah. Without sounding arrogant, I think I can do everything I wanted to do. It's good, man. Um, and I like most, most. Well, I ride dirt jumper Tuesday, Friday, and most of them sessions, I'm like continuously doing tricks. I just can't bother filming them because they look the same as what everyone else is doing. So it's like I could put out bangers all the time, and Noah's always on to me that I need to film and edit like that. But weirdly, it doesn't interest me. Um, I think like making something relatable that a fan can watch and go, I could probably do that. Uh-huh. I think that's way more interesting than doing something that's like crank works level, like that looks like it's going to take me 10 years to learn. So yeah, I think there's no main trick that I'd want to do, but if my advice was just basically do what you're going to do and have fun with it. Yeah, fair play. All right, last one. What do you do every day that you feel benefits you? Uh, man, that's a good one. There's not a day where I go where I don't ride. Like whether that be going to a friend's house or riding skate park, riding the Enduros. Like I've, I can't remember the last day I went without being on a bike and having the gravel bike now. That's just opened up so many doors. Like go to the shop i'll do it like no questions asked whereas before christmas like i was super lazy even down to like like my apartment in manchester was right next to the shop and like if my ex-girlfriend had asked me to go i'd be like oh no make excuses but then (laughs) my new year's resolution was just don't be lazy and i i have actually stuck to it and you, like now because I live back home with my mum and sister like my sister asked me anything she just knows I'm going to do it before I even <laughs> do it so yeah like yeah New Year's resolution's been don't be lazy so that's it keep riding every day and just don't be lazy fair play sounds good to me well it's been super interesting man finding out more about, about you and your background I'm really excited to see where it all goes if people want to follow oh. this journey where should they be looking Instagram, Lando Speezy, and um, my photography page is Lando Speezy with Freeze, okay. which not a lot of people know exists. But yeah, if if you always hear me talk about photography and think, where are the pictures true? It's the same, just with one more A. Awesome. I'll stick links to both of those in the show notes. I'll link the uh, Shimano yeah, video yeah. as well and dig out a few other bits and, and link to some of those riders we talked about. But yeah, thanks for the time out. It's been really, been really fun no chatting. No problem. I'm going to get out and go for a ride because it's well sunny outside. Yeah, it's a lovely day. Yeah. Nice one, man. Yeah, nice. it is. Take care, man. Cheers, Good bud. Bye. All right, that's it for this episode with Leo. I really hope you've enjoyed it. A massive thanks to Kotick for supporting this episode. If you want to build your dream bike, then check out Kotick's UK-made 160mm travel enduro bike, the Rocket Max, an insanely capable bike that breeds confidence at speed but retains a fun personality on the trails. Kotick have multiple build options and the ability to customise those builds too. With factory collection now available at their new HQ in Chesterfield, you can even get one of the team to help you set up your bike. 
Add to that regular owners' rides and events and a company ethos that strives to operate in a low-impact way when it comes to the environment and gives back a good chunk of their time and profit to the riding community. If that all sounds like your dream, then you can check them out over at kotic.co.uk. That's kotic spelled C-O-T-I-C. Don't forget that if you want to help support the podcast, the best way to do that is now by heading over to patreon.com forward slash downtime podcast and setting up a donation. That's Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. I know times are tough for a lot of people right now, so if that doesn't work for you, then no worries. But if you are able to support, then it's very much appreciated. There's also going to be a lot more awesome content coming your way over the course of 2023. So make sure you're following the podcast by hitting that button now in your podcast app or head into downtimepodcast.com forward slash follow. You can get a bit of extra downtime by signing up to our newsletter at downtimepodcast.com forward slash newsletter. I'd also love it if you tell your friends about the show, share the podcast on your social media. And then if you want to help a bit more, then you can join our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash downtime podcast or grab yourself some merch at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. That's it for today. We're going to have another awesome episode coming up really soon. But until next time, get out and ride. <laughs>